Hi everyone, today you're tuning in with me, Rizwana Manjur, and in the hot seat, we've got Ken Mendel, Regional MD and Head of Grab Ads and Brand Insights at Grab. Now, Ken joined Grab in 2018 and is responsible for the overall advertising PL. His team handles functions such as commercial, partnership, and product, all of which support the advertising services business across Grab. Before that, he was with Publicist Media as President of Innovation and E-Commerce Asia-Pacific. Ken has also taken on leadership roles at Hootsuite, Salesforce Marketing Cloud, Yahoo, Ogilvy, XM, and Bates. Now today, Ken will be sharing with us more about his journey into Adland, his love affair with the industry, and what he thinks will be the next big trend. Let's welcome Ken. Hi, Ken. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, thanks for having me, Rez. Uh, I've been looking forward to doing this with you for a while now. So my name is Ken Mandel. I'm the Regional Managing Director for Grab Ads and Brand Insights at Grab. Um, I'm Canadian uh, by birth. Um, I've lived in at least four Asian cities since 1994. And I'm currently based in Singapore with, with uh, my wife, uh, kids, and our dog Pixel. Um, let's see, some fun facts. I'm scientifically proven as a 94.6% vegetarian. Um, I once appeared in a reality TV show in a, with some really bad um, dress codes, I'd say. And uh, my, my famous uh, brush with fame was, I bumped in twice in two days in two different cities to Mick Jagger. And when I saw him the second time, I asked him if he was stalking me. It didn't go over that well. Oh, that's fantastic. What's the reality show, might I ask? It was like uh, Dragon's Den or like Shark Tank. It was called Angel's Gate. And um, it was actually quite a good show. But the producer decided that because it was called Angel's Gate, we should wear these white suits. So it was with Patrick Grove and William Clipshin. And we had to wear these horrible white suits and i was like no angel investing does not mean angels from heaven and the producer looked at me and went it tested well shut up and sit down and i was like okay boss there's a story there for another time we must revisit it um but beyond your reality tv gig you've also worked in a range of companies tell us how you ended up at grab i know you have got a really interesting story there yeah, I mean, that's uh, almost by accident, I'd say. Um, I was actually considering uh, joining a, a well-funded U.S. Uh, SaaS startup. Um, and I was talking with the founder, um, great bunch of people. And he asked me, do I know anyone at Grab? Because he'd like to speak to them about their solution. And I said, yeah, I mean, I, I've met Anthony Tan like once or twice, um, you know, a long, long time ago uh, before he was at Grab. Um, uh, we sold Buddy Media to him when I was at Buddy Media. So I, I kind of knew him. So I shot him an email and he said, hey, listen, what are you up to, by the way? And I said, ah, you know, I just, you know, did this e-commerce thing with publicists. And one thing led to another. And he asked about what that e-commerce thing was. And I said, well, you know, I think that the the concept really is that the e-retailers, so like Amazon or Alibaba or Tmall, they're like publishers of the future. Like they're going to be where consumers go and transact. And that's what that, you know, publicist gig was about. And he was like, wow, do you think uh, Grab could be a publisher? And I was like, 
yeah. I mean, a super app could be a publisher. And that was it. I mean, he said, come on in and chat. And next thing I knew, I was working at Grab. <laughs> That's an incredible story. So what exactly do you do at Grab right now? Grab is, like I said, it's a super app. But my neck of the woods is really around advertising and brand insights. So I head that up. Um, and, you know, ultimately, our, our mission statement for Grab is we ultimately are are looking at driving Southeast Asia forward by creating economic empowerment for everyone. And the mission statement for Grab Ads is similar, but we're driving economic growth by building a platform that helps you know people discover, engage, and connect with the best businesses in Southeast Asia. So that's you know the overall headline. But specifically, we help merchants on Grab and brands on Grab. Um, you know, engage with the Grab audience. So you can think of Grab ads as your growth and discovery engine if you're a merchant or a brand and you want to get found and uh, discovered on Grab. Absolutely. I think I've got my fair share of discovery of brands and eateries on the Grab app. So I think you guys are doing a great job um, getting some of these uh, uh, F&B outlets and brands noticed. Um, and you must be really excited about the SPAC deal on the cards as well. Do you have any secrets for our audience that you can spill? No secrets. You know, it's, it is what it is. And uh, it's very exciting. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, Ken, you've been with the digital advertising and tech industry in APEC for many, many years. I think we first met when you were at Bud, Buddy Media. Um, so tell us how you got into the internet space as a career and what was it that made you think that this could be your career? Yeah, wow. So I have to go way back on that one. Um, so there was a TV show years ago. Um, I forget what it was, but it was all about early days internet. And it was, you know, it was sort of a, it wasn't a talk show, but it was an interview show. I don't know what you call those, but you know, every every episode they would talk about something e. It was called something e. And I remember when I was living in, uh, I think I was living in Myanmar at the time, and you know, I, I had I'd seen it a few times when I had been to Singapore. And I was like, this internet thing is cool. Like I, I had been involved in the internet early in 94, but just sort of on email. When I moved to Bangkok, I had an email account and and I basically was using the same email account I had when I was uh, in Canada. And I realized, wow, I could still talk to all the same people on a daily basis, you know, through email at no additional cost. And I was like, that's pretty powerful, you know, because in Canada, I would actually talk to my fellow um, you know, friends or, or, you know, I was at school at the time doing my master's and we would just talk to each other, like the same people I would see every single day. I would then at night chat with them on email, which was kind of weird, but that was the time. And, <laughs> and we would always have different conversations on the email than we had when we were together. And it was like almost like, you know, a parallel universe. And when I got to Thailand and I realized that all of us had gone to different Asian cities because it, it was sort of like an Asian MBA program. We were all scattered through Asia we could still talk. And then I realized, okay, that's pretty powerful. So as the web developed, I was very keen to get involved. And I remember coming into Singapore headquarters because I was working for Bates Indochina at the time. And I was the, the GM of the Myanmar office. And I came in and there was a room uh, within the Bates Indochina office with four or five people that were all building like these really cool macromedia websites and i went in there one day and i said what do you guys do and they said oh we're like the digital agency for baits and we're called xm expanded media and i was like 
wow, that's so cool. And one thing led to another. And eventually, I asked if I could join. And uh, I joined as the MD in 1999. That was, uh, you know, I moved to Singapore and, you know, was the managing director of XM for over six years. And it, it was amazing because it was right at the very beginning. It was early days and we were doing, you know, microsites for brands like Nokia, Coca-Cola, Visa, Heineken, Chanel. Um, and we really were experts in, in the field. That's fantastic. But you, you decided to move from XM over to Gilvy, uh, but then you wanted to leave the agency world after over a decade with Adland. Um, and I think that was around 2008. So why was that? What triggered the move? Yeah, you know, I started very early, um, Rez, and and so I think I I always you know was itching to to do other things, and I had spent you know I before I worked at XM I, I was at Bates, so I had spent some time in advertising, um, and I I love the agency world, I, I really do, but I I felt like there was other things out there that I could learn because what was happening back then when I was still at Ogilvy was. I probably spent 50% of my time with clients and, and on business. And then I probably spent another 50% of my time evangelizing why digital was important within the agency itself. Because, you know, back then, I remember a very uh, senior uh, Ogilvy executive saying to me one day, he said, you know, the stuff that you digital guys do, you know, it's it's cute. It's kind of like fart jokes. It's kind of funny, but, you know, something, not something people really should do in public. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't imagine that conversation. Yeah, but, you know, to be fair, that was the view at the time. Like, you had a lot of these very smart, um, senior traditional agency, um, you know, guys and girls, and they were threatened by the internet. And and they really were like, you know, we would always say, oh, they don't get it. But uh, the reality was they were also wary of, of not understanding it. And there was a lot, you know, early days internet um, was like the Wild West. It, there was no clear path to ROI. We had lived through this crazy dot-com period. I don't know, you know, you're probably nicely too young to remember that but um you know if you think back to 99 um it was the dot-com boom and all sorts of crazy stuff was going on and 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 frankly xm was riding that wave and then what happened was um you know 2001 i think march uh i think that was the date the nasdaq crashed like you know 76 percent in like one day it went down and and that really made a lot of senior executives just went phew we don't have to learn this internet thing because the whole thing is now over um but you know the reality was is that consumers were still getting on the internet a lot of businesses went under um, but the the fact was that the consumers were still going there. And so I had spent quite a long time evangelizing and, and spending a lot of time, you know, educating my colleagues that this was important. And it got to a point where I felt if I keep doing this, I'm not really doing justice to my own job um, because how am I going to learn? And so, you know, Yahoo knocked on my door a few times and I, I, I kind of said no. And then you know, I said, oh, I'll just go for the interview because I remember I was talking to a very senior um, recruiter and she said to me, you know, like, or I said to her, I said, hey, you know, um, why do you always offer me like agency jobs? Like, why don't you come and offer me some other type of job? And she's like, 
did you look at your CV? Mm. I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I wrote it. And she's like, no, no, did you really look at it? You know, it's agency, agency, agency. And, and I was like, hmm, I don't consider myself an agency person. She said, well, if you don't, you really should get some broader experience. And, and so that's when I called uh, the Yahoo recruiter back and I went for the interview and I left the agency world, like you said. You know, I got, um, you know, very deep into search and not really understood what search was about because I thought I knew what search was. But, you know, I didn't really understand how it all came together. And it, it was illuminating to see how Yahoo, even though it was fully an Internet company, how they thought about the Internet versus when I was on the agency side. So after Yahoo, I think you were with Hootsuite, um, SFDC, and you had your own venture firm, as you mentioned, AngelGate, um, with your own Shark Tank-like TV show. So it was quite surprising for many of us that we saw you come back to the Adland ecosystem with Publicis in 2015. What possessed you to do that? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a good question. <laughs> I think Matt Godfrey was the one who said it best. Um, you know, he was like, why? What are you doing? He was like, we all <laughs> admire that you escaped. And, and, you know, I called him up. I said, no, I, you know, I, I want to go back to the agency and um, world. And he was like, you're just morbidly curious or something. And, and so I, I thought I was going to, you know, change the business model many times even when i was at ogilvy i was thinking I, I could actually make this business model work um and you know the agency model is, is tough right and you basically you you end up selling um the execution rather than the idea the idea kind of gets given away for free and then if you if you win the pitch you get to execute on your idea um and you know, very different than a mckinsey or a bain who just sells the idea and doesn't do any execution so for me, I met uh, Laura Desmond, um, interviewed with her, and you know she was always one of my sort of, when I was a younger internet punk, I looked up to her because I thought she was more of an internet adult than me. And I really, you know, had a, I clicked with her and what they were doing at, at Starcom and had this sort of vision that, hey, one day publishers are going to be e-commerce players um, and really media has to change. We have to stop driving traffic to um, websites that don't actually have a cash register. You know, they're not attached to anything. Like if you think about where media drives a lot of, um, you know, traffic, it's not always to a site that you can buy something. And that didn't make sense to me. And, and you know, I had that in my mind and a few other things. And I had been out of the agency business for 10 years. And that really appealed to her and, and you know, John Sheehy, who was ultimately my boss. And it was a global role. And I thought, you know what? I've never done a global role. I could do it from Singapore, which, by the way, doesn't work. Um, it's really tough. And I ended up at Publicis. And what can I tell you? Like, um, you know, it was it was fun. But at the same time, the agency business had not really changed that much since I had left. Now, getting into some of the specifics, your early years were spent in the creative space and then you moved on to Yahoo. So tell us about your years in the creative industry and how that shift was like from advertising to publishing. You think when you work in digital, um, especially at Ogilvy, where you, you work with a lot of big brands, that you understand publishing and you understand um, the interest, intricacies of like search engine marketing. And then when you go over to the publisher's side and you realize how many truly rocket scientists they have 
looking at algorithms and figuring out search, you go, ah, this stuff is a little bit more complex than I realized. So that was one key learning just on the technology side. I now had to manage engineers. I had to manage product managers. And so it was a much more holistic you know, sort of purview. And and sure, you had marketing and HR and all that stuff, but that wasn't all that different than, than on the agency side. But what was very different is working with folks who are absolutely creative and brilliant, but they're introverted too. The agency is full of like, what do you call it? Extroverts or type A's. And then you get to a technology company and you have a much broader mix of people. Um, and you have to learn how to work with them because they're just as creative as all the you know best creative directors I've ever worked with. Um, but you know they may express themselves differently. So that was one sort of key learning. Um, the other was that these guys, you know, were a hundred percent internet focus. There was no analog anything about them. So the way that they thought the internet was growing was even more bold and fast than what I thought when I was at, let's say, WPP and Ogilvy. Um, I was always saying to folks, we got to move faster. When I got to Yahoo, I was the one suddenly going, actually, digital's not growing as fast as you think. Um, and and so at least in Southeast Asia, because I was in charge of Southeast Asia when I joined Yahoo, and it was still early innings. Um, so it was a very different sort of view of, of, you know, when you're full on, you know, like vested in the internet, and you don't have any analog baggage, you're really driving hard. And and so that was also interesting. And, and had, I had to get used to it. But overall, like you, you really um, think you know a company and then you join and then you realize the complexity of a Yahoo was much more than I would have seen on the outside, even though we would work with them in my agency days. Were there ever moments where you thought this was not for you? You know, I think almost every job that I've taken, there was like a moment in the first <laughs> month where I cried. Now, not always. There was a few that, you know, I didn't cry. I grab. <laughs> so that was good. Um, there was, uh, I think, you know, Hootsuite also was great. But I remember when I went from XM to Ogilvy um, and after being like part of Bates for so long, and I really was that sort of black sheep of the Ogilvy family. I think myself and David Mayo, perhaps, um, it's different. And, and this, when I had this regional job and all like all these markets and they all wanted, uh, you know, they all needed help around digital. It was overwhelming. Um, and I think when I moved to Yahoo too, and I realized I was so potentially out of my depth in some areas, that was you know scary. And then I think when Buddy Media got acquired by Salesforce, and then I was suddenly like the managing director of the Salesforce marketing cloud. And I was like, what the hell happened, man? Like I used to be like a creative agency guy and now I'm working for salesforce.com. Um, yeah, a few tears there as well, I guess. Well, tears of joy as well, I would assume, given that Buddy Media was acquired by Salesforce for what, $689 million or something like that. Am I right? A little bit north of that, I think. But um, yeah, I, who's counting? <laughs> so what was it like being part of a company that was in the midst of a massive acquisition? Were there any key takeaways or learning lessons that you carry with you till today? Yeah, I mean, that was an exciting time. I mean, you know, and and, and the, the founders of Buddy Media, Mike and Cass Lazaro, are amazing people. And and I reported to both of them. That, that's another like... Um, moment that maybe I would have cried a bit because it's hard, you know, they're very different people. But when they work together, 
they make really big impact. And mm. I, I loved actually reporting to both of them, um, except I never knew who was going to show up for my one on one. So I'd be like, I'd, I'd usually prepare like two notes. And it was like, if it was cast, I'd go to that one. If it was Mike, and then once in a while, it'd be both of them, but not very often. And, and so, um, you know, Buddy had a couple of potential exits. I mean, Google was was chasing us as well. You know, in the end of the day, we went with Salesforce and that was a great fit. And and wow, it was super exciting because it, it just happens so quickly. And I remember I, I was in Hawaii at the time because I had to go to a wedding. And so, you know, and then I was on the way back in Tokyo and I, like four in the morning, I was sitting in the lobby because my family was asleep in the hotel room. And I was sitting in the lobby at 4 a.m. talking with New York about, you know, did I sign that document? I have to sign this one. And we were running through the whole you know, deal. And it just happened so quickly. And it, it really was amazing because we were in Salesforce like so quickly. And then it was almost like Buddy Media didn't exist anymore. Mm. It was gone. It, it, you know, like it just, I've never seen, like it was like the Borg, you know, <laughs> assimilated <laughs> us. And and whatever was Buddy Media was gone. It was now the marketing cloud. We were merged with Radian um, six or five or one of those numbers, Radian six, I think. Um, and and so honestly, it happened quick. And then Buddy Media was a distant memory. And you just get on with stuff. And Salesforce is a machine. You, you know, I learned more about sales the time that I was in Salesforce than my entire previous career. They are just so buttoned up when it comes to enterprise sales. Oh, absolutely. Now, I want to come back to your stint with Publicis Media for a bit. I know that you helped kick off uh, Publicis Commerce and led Publicis Media's entry into omnichannel e-commerce and, of course, retail media, which was then one of the first few such offerings. And now we see a lot of agencies really building up their e-commerce uh, offering, but you did that as early as 2015. So what led you to create this and um, what was the experience like being a little bit ahead of the crowd? Because often they say if you pull too far ahead of the crowd, you also might miss out on some of the possibilities um, that are in the present, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. And, and frankly, I, I've in my career, I've been excited way too early on on many things, um, and I, so I'm not sure I've mastered this uh, at all. But over the years, you know, I've learned that you need to ask yourself some pretty fundamental questions. You know, so I, I it's true I can sometimes see around the corner and I can see where trends are going, but if you're too far ahead, um, that could be. Uh, disastrous, especially if, if you were raising money, you know, on something and, and you didn't really understand, you know, the answer to some of these questions. So in my head, I go through things like, okay, can this trend even be monetized? Because not all trends can be monetized. Um, and then, you know, you start talking about what is the total addressable market? So, you know, you have to do the math. You have to actually look at some economics and, and make a business case and say, well, what's the, you know, the CAGR? How is this growing at X percent a year? What's the consumer adoption going to be like? Um, and then, you know, you really need to quantify the trends with economic modeling, but you also need that gut feel. Like that's what I've always done well by, where I have the 
gut feel and I've learned to do the economic modeling. But in the early earlier days, I probably just had the gut feel. Um, so now I'm able to look at something and go, yeah, this is a trend for sure, but it's not a trend that's going to you know, materialize anytime soon. So let's look into the crystal ball, Ken. Um, what do you think is going to be the next big digital trend that we'll see? Wow. You know, the, the pandemic has accelerated, as you know, so many crazy trends and, and not crazy trends, but it's, it's, it's just accelerated in a crazy like 10x. I think we've, we may have accelerated a decade and in, in, a, in a year and a half. Um, and, and that, you know, is, is fascinating, but also scary because in some ways some really great things got accelerated, but in other ways, some really like not so great things got accelerated. Um, and, and so I think, you know, in terms of the good things and the interesting trends, definitely the collision of technology and money, mm. um, you know, or technology and currency even. Um, if you want to call it that. So, I, you know, I guess that's called uh, fintech. <laughs> so there's a name for that. But if, if you start breaking it down, um, you know, it's not just crypto. The blockchain, that underlying ledger is so interesting. This concept of decentralized finance. I mean, this is going to lead to other types of decentralization. Um, you know, and, and I think the trend that I'm probably quite interested in now that I didn't quite get in the beginning is this, this metaverse, you know, mm -hmm. like that term. And, and, you know, that's a bit of AR, that's a bit of, you know, VR, that's uh, NFTs, non-fungible tokens. But what I kind of realized um, just recently is that, you know, the metaverse is like, it's going to be the front end or uh, the visual presentation layer of a lot of what we're seeing around blockchain, NFTs and crypto. So NFTs are, are, are really going to go way beyond collectibles. Um, you know, they're going to allow for a decentralized relationship between the, you know, IP owner, the intellectual property owner and the consumer. And it's going to cut out a lot of these uh, middlemen. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, NFT can offer uh, attributes like a payment, authentication, which I think is really interesting um, and, and probably a lot more. And the, and the really interesting thing is that you have a few things colliding at the same time, which is what I always feel makes a good trend because a lot of the best trends are the ones where people don't have names for it. Like it just like just, they can't name it. And it, it may be years later, you know, not tons of years, but let's say three to five years later where people go, yeah, it's called this. And then everyone kind of goes, it's called that. So you have Gen Zers, right? And let's remember that they make up um, a large part of, of, of Asia, especially Southeast Asia. And these Gen Zers, they don't really differentiate between the digital and physical worlds. Um, so, you know, they're going to grow up to be adults and they're going to, they're not going to change. It's not like, you know, uh, child aspirin. You take it until you're 16 and then you take adult aspirin. They're going to keep these Gen Z ways um, as they grow up in, and become adults. And, and all of this represents big and uh, new opportunities for brands. So like, you know, like is the CMO, is that going to always be chief marketing, marketing officer or you know, is it going to be like chief metaverse officer? Ooh, mm -hmm. you know, who knows, right? Yeah. So, you know, overall, I think that, that, one of the trends I am keen on and I'm starting to, to think about and write about and probably my next sort of, you know, thought leadership presentation will be on this subject is brands are going to have to be a lot more like software. 
they're going to have to be always on. And, and that's something we always talk about, you know, being always on, but they're mm -hmm. also going to have to be always useful, right? So always on, always useful. And, and this concept of a brand as a service, like you have software as a service, mm -hmm. um, you're going to have brands as service. And that brand will need to provide actual utility to consumers. Um, and, and so I think that's going to be uh, a key trend. And so how do you get ready for that? It's always hard to prepare. <laughs> you really have to be um, open-minded about the trends. You have to test and learn because I think a lot of folks will say, I'll wait for this trend to mature and then I'll jump in. The challenge with that, and I've seen this through my whole career, you know, being an early digital person, is that the learning curves are steep. So you need to jump in and at least test and learn. Take a percentage of your budget, whatever that you know, needs to be, and invest it in learning. And know that that small percentage, whether it's five or 10, um, is not supposed to drive return of investment. It's supposed to drive return of learning. And, and so that's one way um, that I, I've always advised brands when I was on the agency side, you know, to have that innovation budget. Um, but it, it, you're, you're right, it is not easy to prepare. The other thing is you have to get the right talent. Mm. So, you know, I think that's probably one of the keys is that you have to hire folks who understand this stuff and, and find a way not to silo them in your organization. I mean, if I think back to the good old days of the Internet when I was at XM, um, we were siloed from the traditional agency for a long time. Um, we were off doing our own thing. And, you know, they'd ring you up and say, Hey man, there's a pitch tomorrow. Can you do anything? And you'd be like, uh, in, in like 12 hours. And they'd be like, yeah. And you do a banner ad and mm. that that's not your best work. That's not what the opportunity could have been. So it's the same today, which is if you hire ex these experts and you bring them into your organization, don't silo them, make them part of the family as soon as possible. Also, Ken, if you think of it from the marketer's point of view, you're being measured on every dollar and every cent. And you don't really know how many of these uh, trends are going to stay. Everything seems very fascinating and shiny when it first emerges. But how many of these trends actually last and create a lasting impact on the marketing industry? So I guess the question is, how do you keep learning with the limited amount of budget and time that you have? Yeah, I mean, that you have to make that investment. Like I said, it goes back to that innovation budget and you have to be true to it. You have to ring fence it and protect it because it's very easy when the rubber hits the road and, you know, you have to hit the number to, to kill that budget. It's probably the first budget that gets, you know, killed in tough times but you have to invest in the future. And you're right, some trends won't last um, and it shouldn't be spray and pray, yeah. but you have to have folks who probably can spot trends and trust their instincts and say, all right, out of these seven, we're gonna do these three because these three trends fit with you know, either our, our brand ethos or they fit with our company. They're not you know, super, broad they they fit with a specific goal that we're trying to hit like our mission statement mm -hmm. and, and then you go okay this trend then is is not a tangent it's an adjacency you know these trends move fast res so you know you have to be prepared for the the ebbs and flows of trends because what you invest in uh, you know in day one 
you know, day 90, it could already start morphing. And this is where, you know, if you asked me six months ago about metaverse, I would have been like, yeah, like that's like, don't bother with that, honestly. And now I'm like, mm, no, I don't feel that way anymore. And that's yeah. that's a six month period. So you really do have to be open minded and you have to be committed. So were there any trends that surprised you since you've always kind of uh, been a little ahead of the curve? Uh, I know you just said that metaverse kind of took you a little bit by surprise, but were there any other trends that surprised you? Not really. I mean, I, I think metaverse is the one um, mm. that, you know, I'm trying to think what I got wrong. You know, that's another way to think about this. <laughs> um, a long time ago, I got iPhone wrong. I remember presenting at Digicon or I think it was called IMAP then in the Philippines. And, uh, you know, I think six months earlier before that conference, I think I must have been at Yahoo then. Um, I've been interviewed in, 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 in you know, a journalist and I said uh, that the iPhone is just hype. It's not going to change mobile marketing forever. Um, I literally said that. And then six months later, I'm on the stage and like IMAP is a big conference in Manila, like thousands of people. And I, I got down on my you know, knees and I apologize to Steve Jobs um, and, and to everyone that I got that I got that wrong. Oh, that's hilarious, Ken, and definitely one for the books. So have having been in uh, pure play creative, digital advertising, media and publishing, where in your vision is our ad industry going? And what do you feel are some of the skills our industry needs right now? Yeah, good question. So, you know, it, it definitely... And I've been saying this for a while now. You, when when you look at the advancement of digital and digital transformation, you have to have a lot of skill sets, like a much more broader set of skill sets than you would have normally. You know, it's it's the convergence of you know I said you know money and tech, right? Like mm. what what would that look like? You have to have bankers and then people who understand you know technology. Um, that was like early days internet. You had marketers, but you also had people who understood tech and so you had marketing which had no tech in it way back when and and you know now it's full of tech and so today you need data scientists um you know i think there's there's a lot of obviously signals out there you need someone who can make sense of it you you really do need what i call like data storytellers who are part data scientists part art director and part copywriter um, and, and so imagine what that looks like, right? You know, what degree out there from a university has those skill sets where you're a data scientist and you're also an art director and a copywriter, like zero. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you do need these people who are really curious, passionate, can do people. Um, and then you need, you know, project managers. It's such an underrated skill set. People who can like put very complex projects together um, that involve you know, cross-discipline um, folks and get them all, you know, singing off the same hymn sheet. I mean, that's a real challenge because, you know, if you think about it, a lot of folks don't even hang out together, but in their jobs, they're really interconnected. But then when they leave their jobs, they're, they're going back to, you know, kind of the worlds that they, they live in. But what's bringing them together is the internet, is something like, you know, blockchain and maybe something one day like metaverse. And and this is where you need a really diverse cross-section of talent. And and I, I always say like, 
higher along diversity. And, you know, obviously diversity means many things, but in this case, I'm saying like, you know, diverse viewpoints of the world, diverse culture and diverse technical and business skills. So a few years ago, we were having this conversation um, and a lot of people were of the opinion that advertising is not as attractive as an industry as it once was. Um, and that wasn't attracting the talent that we needed. Do you still feel that that's the case? The advertising business model has been broken for a long time. You know, from this this concept of, you know, you're doing these pitches, um, you're giving all these amazing ideas um, pretty much for free in hope that you win the pitch and you get to execute on your idea. Um, so that is challenging. Um, now, I still think, though, that working at an agency is one of the funnest things you can do. The breadth of projects that you get, the diversity of, of people that you meet and work with and clients that you get to work on. You know, so if I think back to my agency days, you know, that that was really important for ultimately getting me to where I am today because I got exposed to so many different companies, um, different business challenges. And I just I love the chase. You know, I, I love meeting clients, understanding their business issue and then trying to help them solve it. Um, so I still think the agencies will attract um, talent. But yeah, you, you have a lot more competition, like especially given how much of the agency business is now digital. So if you go back, like when I started, you know, in all of this, when I was, you know, chairman of the IAB and founded the IAB or co-founded the IAB with a few crazy folks, um, you know, digital expenditure of total advertising was 6%. I remember, you know, we did a press conference in probably 2010 and I, I you know, speaking to the media and I said, we've gone from 3% to 6%, we've doubled, woohoo. And we were all very excited. I mean, 6%. And now it's, you know, mostly over 50 in, in most places. So that makes it tough because the agency is now competing for the same talent that, you know, the publishers, the Facebooks, the Googles, the TikToks, the Grabs are all competing for. And because of massive digitalization and transformation through the pandemic, there's only going to be even more demand for digital talent. So, so that's where it gets tough. So can we always joke about this, that you almost made it out of advertising and we could have had you in the life after advertising series that we've got going on, but somehow you always get pulled back in into ad land. So it seems like you have a real love, love affair for the industry. Tell us about where you see yourself in the future. Is Adland your home? <laughs> is that why I wasn't in that series? Oh man, <laughs> there's different shades of advertising. I, I feel like I did make it out perhaps out of the agency world, although I did go back um, happily. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe one day I'll go back again. But you know, the, the, the thing is, is that I never make it far. You're right. Even if I get out, um, I didn't make it that far away. So I, you know, Yahoo, well, what did they really do? Advertising. Um, Salesforce.com was, I think, the furthest I made it out, but I was running the marketing cloud. So how far did I really make it out? Um, and then, you know, and I love it. I love the energy of, around advertising and marketing. Um, I like the people. 
Um, I like the diversity of people. Um, I love working cross-functionally. Um, and, you know, that, I guess, is my fate. <laughs> well, we love this conversation so much. Uh, I had such a blast, Ken. Thank you so much for your honest opinions and your candor. I think I was laughing half the time and I had to mute myself so you wouldn't be hearing me cackling away. But that was a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. And we should do this again real soon. Uh, Reswana, thank you. And, and thank you to marketing for having me. Um, I really enjoyed being here. And uh, let's do it again sometime. Thank you for joining us on this episode. If you'd like to find out more about the upcoming digital trends, join us at our Digital Marketing Asia conference happening 9th to 25th November 2021. We'll see you there.